You're listening to the Common Descent Podcast. And welcome to Spookulative Evolution. Hello, David. Greetings! <laughs> welcome, Count. And welcome, listeners, to our very first episode of Spookulative Evolution. And you have to deal with the name because I love it. Spooky for short. Spooky. So welcome everyone. This is a this is a brand new project for us. And it is actually a brainchild of the response we got from mermaids and suggestions by listeners asking for more speculative evolution episodes. And one person actually said, you should do an October series. Yes, Renee, one of our patrons. Mm-hmm. And so we this. said, okay. We said, well, we better start planning out time. Yes. <laughs> how can we not do that? Yep. <laughs> so welcome to our October Halloween series, the Spook E, the Spookulative Evolution. This series is, we hope to be a tradition, is each Saturday this month, we are going to be releasing an episode starting with this one, looking into famous, classic, popular, and favorite movie monsters, fabled creatures, monsters of antiquity, all of the above. Basically, any creepy, awesome, cool creature of myth, legend, and fiction, and looking at how could they evolve. Yeah, speculative evolution with a with a spooky twist. Exactly. So once again, for all of you, speculative, speculative evolution, I mean, it's, it's just so catchy. It's stuck. Speculative evolution is the idea of taking an already existing animal and thinking of how might it have evolved differently or how how might it evolve in the future or thinking of what processes could evolve a certain trait or a certain quality or a certain thing that we already think of there's lots of room for creativity there which is perfect for this so our plan is we will take a monster an episode talk a little bit about their history to give you a little background on what we're talking about in case you're unfamiliar with the creature. And then go through and talk about all sorts of stuff, focusing on how could evolution create what we're used to seeing. And also, if we were to end up with something similar to the monster we're talking about, what would it actually end up as? Or what could it end up as if it just evolved naturally? So how could we get the end result we already are used to and then what other end results could you get for a similar outcome yes how can we fit this fictional creature into a realistic biological framework absolutely and this is just meant to be fun speculative evolution is a great tool for exercising the brain and creativity of uh critical thinking but by no means is anything we'll be saying on here definitive statement on what is and isn't possible what is and isn't possible evolutionarily. This is purely us just spitballing and thinking outside the box on how you might be able to get something completely made up in the real world. Yes, and it's fun. Oh, it's so much fun. This is probably one of my favorite pastimes, hands (laughs) down. So we'll go ahead and jump into this episode. So today's episode, as you may have noticed on the title, is Vampires. Vampires. We decided to start with one of the one of the most classics. Yeah, this this month I, for our first spooky series, 
uh, we'll we'll stick with some classic choices. Yeah, some of the some of the real uh, old school monsters. Vampires, a little bit of history on them are, and this is going to be a trend with many monsters, are not easy to pin down as to where they came from in history. Vampires and vampire-like creatures have been around for a long time, very similar to what we said when we talked about mermaids. There have been stories of humans or undead or creatures feeding on the living blood of innocents for centuries. These stories often have a demonic twist to them, that they are demons or fiends or spirits that are feeding off the living. And many times they have a connection to the devil. It's actually something that's not heavily seen in a lot of vampire stuff nowadays, but classically vampires were connected with Satan himself. Penny Dreadful, if any of you have ever watched that show, draws on that, where Satan is, where where, the, where Dracula is a counter to Satan. So that's an idea that goes back a long time. The first true mentionings of vampires by name is in the 17th and 18th centuries. And this is actually when vampires become one of the favored monsters for stories. So vampire-like creatures and vampires themselves were around before them, but it's really actually hard to find a lot of writing about them. During this time is where they become the popular scary story monster and are in all sorts of short stories. One of the earliest of these is the German poem, The Vampire, from 1748. So go vampires have been around for a long, long time. Since then, many, many, many stories have been written. Two of the most famous and two of the earliest that form our modern perception of vampires is Carmilla and Bram Stoker's Dracula. Carmilla is actually earlier than Dracula. Fun note, Dracula is not the first major work on vampires. Carmilla is from 1872, and it's a female vampire hunting uh, travelers and people who stay in the mansion but it's a weird version of vampire where they steal your breath. So this is another version of them. Bram Stoker's Dracula, though, is what l actually laid out the rules that we all know and the weaknesses and the strengths and the abilities. So most things you think of as vampire-like come from Bram Stoker's Dracula in 1897. And I haven't read Carmilla, but I've read Dracula, and Dracula's awesome. Oh, it's, it is my favorite cla like classic chapter book. If you have not read Dracula, uh, the original 97 Dracula, I would highly recommend it. It's so good. It is It is an odd story because it is actually a book made out of the letters and news clippings of the characters in the story. Yeah, it's a found footage book. It is. It is. It's incredible. It's the original found footage horror story. Yeah, it's super cool. And it's amazing. And so it is really cool. It's creative and it lays vampires out in a really neat way and gives all their rules. The classic vampire we think of is it transmits the curse by drinking the blood of a person and the person bitten becomes a vampire. There's lots of different rules for that. In some cases, the vampire has to drain you of blood. In others, it's just like, I bite you, now you have rabies. In others, it's, I, I bite you, but to become a vampire and not die, you have to make a deal, you know, effectively sell your soul. There's a whole bunch of different versions. It's We're not going to go into all of those, and I'll go over why in just a moment, but vampires are transmitted 
to other people so they can spread. They have to drink blood to live. They are nocturnal, active at night, with various other superpowers, typically enhanced strength and all of those wonderful things. The amount of superpowers is too long to list of what vampires are shown to do <laughs> throughout yeah, all we'll, the versions. We'll stick with a standard, standard, <laughs> limited version of vampires. Yeah. But before I go, we get, go into explaining those things, I wanted to go over that there are actually scientific, potential scientific explanations for why we think people thought there were vampires. Ah. And there's two main things. There's a whole bunch of other side ones that can be caused by you know, uh, uh, social situations and, and cultural beliefs. But one of the big ones is natural decomposition can actually resemble what we now think of as vampiric traits. Because if a body is buried and it is in a warm environment, it's not cool enough, it will start to decompose in a way that we call bloating. Mm. It'll fill with gas. And this extra pressure makes them look very plump, first off, and rosy-cheeked because it pushes all the blood to the surface. And it can actually cause such pressure that it will cause blood to erupt out of orifices, eyes and noses, but also the mouth. So every now and then, when people would exhume graves or happen upon a dead body they would come across an obviously dead person who at that moment still seemed dead but was full and fat-looking and had blood running from its mouth. Huh. Whether this is definitely what caused the beliefs is not known for sure, but there are there are absolutely historical sightings of people thinking there's a vampire about and going and checking the grave of the person they think is the vampire and finding these and finding these characteristics and saying, aha, I knew it. So there are definitely at least some people who took these qualities as signs of vampirism. So it may have just been that we saw these things and started to form in our head due to the fear of the dead body that it was coming after us in the night. And then also there are actual blood drinkers. Like, yeah, that's a real thing. Vampiric organisms are not unusual. These sanguivores or, or mm -hmm. hematophages are animals that drink sometimes nothing but, or at least some part of their diet is drinking blood of other animals. Yeah. The list of these kind of animals is actually too long to go over. There's actually a lot of variety. Even if we don't name every single type of bug that drink insects, like moths and mosquitoes, vampire bats, obviously, ticks, leeches, bedbugs, lamprey, oxpeckers, those birds that are yep. often portrayed as helping the ox by picking off things, have often been observed opening wounds or widening existing wounds to drink the blood of the ox. Yep, yep. Blood is a, it's, there's an ample supply of it. It's nutritious, lots of protein in it. It's where we carry a lot of our nutrition it's yep. how we transmit nutrients throughout the body so it's blood not hard is, to find nope it's all you have to do is make a cut and you can be stealthy about it which is many of these animals are stealth feeders so there's a lot of this in the real world so it could make it makes sense that we could connect this to things that already are creepy to us if we don't like leeches 
and then we don't like dead bodies, it's not hard to draw a line that, you know, maybe it also wants my blood. Yeah, this also makes it uh, particularly enjoyable for discussions about speculative evolution like this. Absolutely. There's a real world connection already. So on the speculative evolution note, I want to make a disclaimer, which I will call my magic disclaimer. <laughs> this is going to come up in many of these episodes if, as, if we continue this series, because as we were saying, vampires have many, many, many powers and many abilities, some of which are impossible to explain biologically in a reasonable way. Turning to mist, not being able <laughs> to cross running water, having to sleep on their home dirt are all ones that, yes, we could probably figure out a logical reason behind but they're not they're going to be either stretching or not great yeah there's a lot of supernatural like you said they, they've been related to demons and, yes. and to devils uh, there's a lot of magic and magic there, I, there's plenty to talk about with vampires even before you have to start trying to come up with real world explanations yes. for clearly supernatural abilities to for many monsters and movies to fully function, you must you must accept that magic exists in that universe. It is the same reason we are not going to try to explain how wands work scientifically in Harry Potter. Obviously, it's midichlorians. Yes, exactly. That's what you get. <laughs> and I refuse to go down that path. This is a no midichlorian zone. That is the path of the dark side. That's <laughs> indeed. But there have actually been attempts to explain some of the weirder things about vampires. And I, I want to touch on one really quick just since it is a speculative evolution kind of evolution. It's a speculative explanation of how these traits could come about via scientific means. And it comes from I Am Legend, not the Will Smith movie, but the original book it was based off of. I'm going to go over this briefly because I have not actually read this book, so I can't give you the details. But in this book, there is a disease, an epidemic that sweeps the nation and turns people into vampiric-like, vampire-like organisms and raises corpses to do the same. And they share all the classic things of vampires. They are out to drink blood, they're weak to garlic, weak to sunlight, and fear mirrors and the cross. So there's one survivor who's naturally immune to the disease, and he decides to figure out why, and the explanation he comes across and that the book gives is interesting, but once again, leaves a lot of holes as to how much it makes sense. But they are interesting. So I wanted to put them out there. I didn't want to say, you just can't do this. It can be done, but it's not. It You have to almost make up as much as you answer. Obviously, allergic to garlic is pretty easy one. The sunlight one was interesting because it was saying that the bacteria that forms the disease, if exposed to sunlight, begins to die. So it's the bacteria that's, in, that's right, weak to right. sunlight. It's host manipulation. Yeah, which is actually not uncommon. UV is really deadly to many microbes. So that's, that's pretty reasonable. The mirrors and the cross are explained by hysterical madness and blindness, which is basically based off the idea that memories from when the hosts were human get amplified to the point that they react irrationally towards certain things. Their own reflection is one. Seeing themselves as this thing causes them to react in a, in a hysterical way. And seeing the cross is due to Christian beliefs 
believing that the, the cross is, is a sign or is a negative thing to them now or a sign of betrayal. I can't remember the exact right, reasoning. Right. So, so it's a psychological thing. It's a psychological yeah. adversion, well, cool. not a physical, which is neat. Now, the book does also point out, which I thought was due to it, its credit, that therefore a cross would not work on a vampire who was Jewish in life or some other That's Yeah, that's religion. really funny. <laughs> so it's, you can you can get around you know once again you have to you know create as many uh ideas as you answer in that one I feel so th- those can get overly complex sometimes but those those are probably the most interesting ones I've ever heard for a scientific reasoning on those two yeah yeah but here of course we want to talk about the evolution of of so we're less interested in the psycholo- the psychology and the culture as in the biological processes so basically what we're focusing on is how could we get something similar to vampires or at least how could we get a blood sucking humanoid yes something that on the surface we would say oh yeah that's a vampire it's got two arms two legs and it wants my blood (laughs) (laughs) and once again we've already established blood drinkers exist and one of the things I would like to answer first that's always been a burning question for me is how would their fangs work because we always show that they have fangs to drink blood but in most of them it's just shown that they like stick it in your neck and it just comes out like a straw yeah so how would the fangs work how would they how would vampires actually be able to drink blood that's always whenever i think about those i always picture the fangs as being like hypodermic needles where yeah. they're actually using the fangs like straws and i think the reason i think that is because i've definitely seen that sound effect used yeah <laughs> In com- comedic situations mm-hmm. where you're like sucking blood through a straw, but that's not, I I do not believe there is nor has ever been a vertebrate animal yeah. that uses their teeth to pull things in, to pull fluid in through the teeth. Yeah, not that I can think of. Venomous snakes inject venom through the teeth so they actually are indeed using their teeth like needles like mm-hmm. hypodermic needles but vampire bats just use their teeth to break the skin and then lick up the blood yes they they bite a they, very sharp teeth are able to like scalpel cut a wound and then yeah they just lap it up like a like a dog uh, i want to say leeches are probably doing a similar thing leeches yeah they they cut and then they they just suction cup over they suck it. it up. There are some that stick their tongue in and are able to like enter the wound with a tongue with some of the leeches, but I don't know how common oh, that's that is. Awful. It's it's horrible. Yeah. Now mosquitoes do actually yes. suck up blood through a hypodermic face. The and the issue with trying to do that with things, to in my mind, is to to suck things up, you have to have suction. So you would have to have something on the other end of the thing that is that is slurping, that is creating a vacuum Yes. to pull the blood through. So they'd either need specialized blood sacs that are connected to those fangs, or they'd have to have the fangs outside of the mouth so that they could literally like stab you with their fang like a mosquito and then slurp on it with their lips. Or I guess they could have a passage where the fang enters a tube that connects either to the mouth or nose cavity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it connects. And you can to the... suck it up, but I feel like that's a big stretch. When in a vertebrate animal, you could very easily. I think I feel like the easiest, the most parsimonious evolutionary trajectory would be just to evolve super sharp teeth mm-hmm. and then suck blood straight out of the 
wound. Which is why I've always preferred the the vampires where they bite someone and when they come back, their mouth is covered in blood. Because that's always what I assumed they were doing is the teeth are yes. there to puncture the jugular and then it just starts, because it's a artery, just starts gushing and then they just put their mouths over it and just like drinking out of a hose. And it's not unrealistic to imagine humans, apes with big teeth, since that's mm-hmm. sort of default for apes to begin with. Yeah, humans have gone the. I, we we would uh, humans have lost their large teeth. Like our Absolutely. lineage is unusual among apes, or even to imagine a group of predators that are specialized to bite in a specific area. Because mm-hmm. big cats do that. Absolutely, they they specifically aim for the windpipe. So that that is not a an unreasonable thing. Yeah, the thing that this also makes me think of is if that's what they're doing. Wouldn't it would make sense to me that vampires would have anticoagulant saliva? Yes, like vampire bats. Yep. So many blood drinkers, many sanguivores, which I prefer over hematophagy. Oh, it's, it's a great word. Yeah, sanguivore is way better. Have special chemicals in their saliva or separate, which I think is really some of them when they bite will pre-inject a chemical that can be anesthesia, can be mm-hmm. anticoagulant can be um, uh, something that dilates the capillary so that blood still continues to rush there and they don't get constricted. And so it can even be anti-inflammation so that you don't feel any pain. It does not get sore. You would not feel it if you're not, if as long as you do not see it happening. Yes. Vampire bats do that. And then also some snake venoms have similar properties and it just makes the wound bleed more. Mm hmm. That's definitely one of those things that I would picture them having is that they just bite and then like if you were bitten by a vampire and even if you batted it away immediately and got away, that that wound would be just open and bleeding for the yes. next hours. You know, that it would take the better part of that day for it to fully stop because it is actively not wanting to clot. And evolutionarily, all that stuff is already in your body. Yeah. So the way that I mean, now it arguably that's venom but that's a whole other conversation <laughs> yes are vampires venomous yeah well if they have anticoagulant anyway yeah but yeah there are chemicals in your body that serve to affect dilation and contraction of blood vessels and and uh clotting of blood and coagulation and the evolution of venomous saliva or saliva with various properties is just co-opting those you're just giving those to your prey yeah so it that fairly simple to imagine that evolving it would be very cool idea you mentioned it as a joke but venomous vampires could also explain a lot of the things of like how they feed on a sleeping person if their bite not only makes you bleed and is numbed but dulls your senses and slows your reaction time if it is it's about a paralytic a paralytic if it is poisoning you enough so that you're not going to even if you wake up it'd be like sleep paralysis yes while it continues to feed also it which would have is a horrifying effect. oh no that's fa- <laughs> that, that is, is absolutely because these are shrew vampires yes well it also means because these are predators right they, they, yeah. you are preying they're parasites in, in a sense it also is great for the scenario you were talking about where if you're you bite your prey and they get away 
they're not going to go far. Yeah. Because they're bleeding and they're weakened. So it would be a great evolutionary strategy to have saliva that incapacitates your victim. Mm-hmm. And then you feed on it until you're full and you leave. Another one that I think is a, a pretty simple answer is the, the vulnerability to sunlight is if yes. vampires were a albino by nature or something similar to that. Oh, that well, uh, hippos are super have super sensitive yeah. skin. Mm-hmm. So that's something that if if you've evolved a habit that doesn't require you to encounter that, mm-hmm. then it you know as long as you are, I can attest to this. Just so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they just all vampires are redheads. <laughs> yep, yep. It's uh, I mean, it, it, so far it matches. It's soulless, or they could be descended from cave dwellers. Yeah, that's that's and have just completely lost uh, the ability to protect themselves from sunlight. That's that's getting into like the descent territory where maybe yeah. they're feeding at cave entrances at night and like pulling in deer and pulling in things like that. That'd be pretty that'd be cool. cool. So that's our speculative evolutionary history that maybe yes. this is these are nocturnal, mm-hmm. but maybe even deeper than that. Maybe they it's a an ancestral thing they're that they've inherited. Mm-hmm. Is an Absolutely. inability to cope with sunlight. That'd be. That'd that really also cool. work very nicely for the vampires having a crypt and, yes. and having to go back to their crypt and that they have to go back to their cave. That, that's a nice one. I like how that, that fits in. I also like, you mentioned before, the idea that it's a bacterial thing where you could come up with a, a sense of that there's something inherent to vampires that makes them... Like, like if there's a, a vampire microbiome Yes. That is unique to them, and for some reason UV is super dangerous mm-hmm. to it. Or something now, like that, yeah. Th- this is also to be said, because I, I have to put this caveat in, this is like the people that go, Frankenstein wasn't the monster. Frankenstein. It's the same <laughs> concept here. Dracula did not burn up in sunlight, just so everyone knows. In the original That's story, true. vampires yeah. are fine in sunlight, but they lose all their superpowers. Yes. That's what sunlight did to them, is they were only powerful at night, just putting it out there. Yeah, if Dracula walks around in the day, he's just not vampiring. Yeah. He's just a I dude. wonder if maybe the the specific physiological processes that allow you to create your venom are suppressed in sunlight for some oh, reason. Oh yeah, like yeah, yeah. Maybe like UV, UV interferes with breaks down. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. That'd be very or like, you know, if you were to expose a bite to UV, it would kind of like putting a stingray sting in warm water it just breaks down all the proteins way too fast yeah you know something you know it's where it just does not have the same effect i like this idea of this all being pre-adapted that, that yes this this is a a type of humanoid that lived in certain circumstances that led to all this and it wasn't mm-hmm. a problem and now they have moved they've diversified and now they're hunting humans and they have to deal with these lingering effects yeah now, this does lead me into my probably my biggest question that I think leads into some of the, the most interesting ideas I had while <laughs> putting these notes together. Classically, vampires turn other humans into vampires, and that's how they spread. That's how they right. perpetuate. Evolutionarily, is that more reasonable, or are they a different species? Are they a different thing other than afflicted humans? Right, so there are versions of vampires that do not turn people. They're yes. just demons of the night. And there's actually a really cool version that is one of my favorites. Not a great movie, but I did like it. 
Uh, This movie is very much in the vein of uh, Alien vs. Predator for me, where it's like nothing about this movie is good, but it had cool stuff in it, so that's all I need. Priest, Hmm. for all of you who haven't seen it, is a movie, a post-apocalyptic future in which humans and vampires have been at war since the times of the Crusades, for centuries. And that in this world, they are the two dominant species completely separate evolutionary paths right right vampires are not hominids they're humanoid they have the same limbs as us and our same general body design as us but they are their own evolutionary path and there is the human evolutionary path that have both become the two dominant predators on the planet and these vampires have no eyes and are nocturnal they're, they they hunt by sound and smell and vibration. Oh, man. This is going well in line with my cave dweller ancestry. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> they drink blood. They have long fangs just to feed on blood. And they're very agile. They're, they're, they are more like on all fours. They're very reminiscent of the um, future predator from Primeval. Right. It sounds like it. Yeah. But the cool thing they did... That I really liked, and this is where a lot of my ideas kind of went, ooh, is when they bite people, the person does not turn into a vampire, but becomes subservient to the vampires. Oh, now we're doing some Hymenoptera stuff. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Parasitoid wasp stuff and, and sl- slavery ants. Yeah. And that these humans, they become pale and they show some similar signs for the effects of the movie. But basically, they're still human. They still have to eat. They have nothing special about them except they are completely subservient and obedient to the vampires and take care of them during the day and act as guards to the sleeping area of the vampire and caretakers, cleaning and feeding and basically drones of the hive. So this sounds a lot like, I mean, there are fungi and there are bacteria that, that do, I said this, this case before, host manipulation. Host manipulation, exactly. You are affecting the physiology of your host in such a way that they are forced to behave in certain ways, right? Ants that mm-hmm. climb to the top of the grass blades and grasshoppers yes. that drown themselves. Caterpillars that thin the larva that just hatched out of their body. Yes. Weird so stuff. That absolutely, that's all chemicals. So you're evolving those chemical traces. The alternative, if we did it the other way, that you actually get turned into a vampire, Mm -hmm. I guess you could have some... uh, There are processes that strike up certain genetic pathways. Yeah. That especially if you are closely related species, that if you could induce... I I guess like, you know, to think of it in a hormonal way, like inducing puberty. Yeah. Like we can have artificial hormones that induce certain, you know, uh, effects in people that, that are what you get during puberty and you can Mm -hmm, take mm -hmm. like growth hormones and things like that. If you could transmit hormones that activated certain changes. Yeah. It's definitely that one. That one would be very interesting because it would be, I would wonder if a turned vampire would look different than a a normal, like one that had been born a vampire. Like, would they have scars from the transformation? 
you know, growths. This also raises the question, because we've been kind of assuming up to this point that vampires would be humans. Yeah. It's a, like we did with mermaids, it's an evolution of humans. Mm -hmm. But if not humans, then what other species would be more, most apt to evolve into vampires? And I think the, especially priest version, Mm -hmm. I think the obvious thought is bats. Yep. But I would lean towards primates. Primates. Uh, that's a, there's a lot less modification to be made there. Actually, reaching farther back in the um in the conversation, and this this is this is more of just a, a left field interesting idea. Uh, but something like shrews actually could be a really interesting one of these already venomous, already fanged, reinforced fangs with metal tips <laughs> become subterranean predators. Yeah, I like that. I like the shrew vampire idea. Also, because it's the most terrifying choice we've come yeah. up with so far. And and you know it, they have this crazy metabolism. If one fig- if one becomes specialized on blood, to where it's taking down equally sized creatures, and then specializing to process the blood as a more efficient meal or something like, it would be very cool. This also brings up the idea, the question for me, which I've been wondering this whole time is how effective would a blood meal be for a human sized creature? Yeah, it's most things that you see that that we see nowadays that drink blood are small. Yes. To where I can fill my body mass on an amount of blood that won't even make you dizzy. Yes, exactly. To lose. I feel like that's one of the big challenges against evolving a megafaunal sanguivore is that how do you get enough blood to feed that thing? Which obviously means that vampires have to be the size of toddlers. Yeah, well, the shrew compared, yeah. Yeah. Small vampires. You'd have these cat-sized vampires creeping around <laughs> and latching onto you, and which I, assume I think that... almost makes it worse. <laughs> Yeah, oh no, that's I love it. I love hairless, pale, fanged, crawling (laughs) around with red teeth because they're shrews. (laughs) And I imagine, and this is this has come up in a lot of vampire canon as well, that they would not be limited to humans, yeah, exactly, unless they were specialists. Mm -hmm. And there's all sorts of fun considerations you could come up with. What would a specialized human predator? have to evolve to do that. But I, yeah. I, I imagine our tiny cat shrew vampires going after <laughs> deer and, and things like that. Cause Definitely. that's a lot of blood. That's yes, absolutely. Now I have, I have one wild hair idea. Two neat things I thought of when thinking of the host manipulation, the priest style where when they bite someone, they just become subservient is you could actually get some really interesting things. First off, the there's already ideas of this kind of thing. Uh, toxoplasmosis is a popular parasite in that that people probably have heard of, and one of the most famous examples is the the fact that it's a parasite that comes from cats and can mm-hmm. get into the brains of animals that smell cat poop. So most of us that have owned a cat probably have toxoplasmosis parasites in in us, but it's not likely to do any damage it's very rare that it's in people with weak immune systems that it actually does anything bad but because of a study that showed that rats who previously were afraid of cat urine once infected with toxoplasmosis then became attracted to cat urine 
There's been a lot of things thrown around with, is this why cat people like cats? Is that it makes you, it, the bacteria, the, or not the bacteria, the parasite wants to be close to its host so that it can, and it that's not actually been confirmed. Uh, right, right. There are things called crazy cat lady syndrome, which is not saying that cat ladies like cats because of the, the <laughs> because of the parasite. It is that some of the crazy things that you see have been circumstantially associated with severe cases of this parasite but i do like that idea that it's it's a they bite it injects a parasite or a a, they're parasitoid wasps that have viruses that they are mutualistic with that do this that go in and can rewrite your brain structure to make you now see them as part of your your Uh, group so in this scenario we the the whole thing behind these vampires is that they have a virus or some sort of parasite whose life cycle requires yeah the host both hosts and it wants to keep you nearby each other so that it can continue that life cycle and in parasite wasps they have a virus that is specialized only found in the wasps that's job is to make the host more beneficial for yeah, yeah, yeah. the hosts the the parasitoids larva yeah, these are things that, and this is what I, I always explain to people why the common cold is common. Yeah. Because it's a virus that affects you enough to, for you to have symptoms, but not enough for you to stay home from work. Yeah. It's a good virus. It doesn't keep you away from other potential hosts. It survives. Yeah. The other idea this gave to me is that if one of these viruses is like the parasitoid wasp where it changes your body to make you more beneficial... What if it made the human host produce blood in higher quantities? Yep. And they became cattle. And I was going to also point out that if we're doing that, if we're finding chemical excuses to sort of aid the vampires in getting more food, shrews cache their prey. Yes, they do. Which is to say they paralyze it with their shrew venom and then put it in their little shrew lair where it sits paralyzed until the shrew is ready to devour it later. Yep. So going back to our venomous vampires, if you can paralyze your prey while they are now producing extra blood. Yeah, it, you're basically a virus that says, all right, instead of making everything else, just make blood now. Stop yes. healing tissue. Stop making new tissue. In fact, break down old tissue and make it into blood. So the person's going to die from that virus eventually because their body is not functioning, but it's going to be a big meal for the vampire. I imagine that this would also go hand in hand with vampire culture, mm-hmm. that it's it's very easy to, per- to perceive, especially if they're human derived. But eh, we can allow uh, sociality mm-hmm. in any ma- mammalian derived is easy to see them having little nests which is another yes. thing that comes up in certain canons of nests of vampires yeah so now i'm imagining like <laughs> vampires derived from shrews and living like naked mole rats <laughs> yeah what what we are creating here is vampires that function like xenomorphs <laughs> this is also by the way we have created to in my opinion the most horrifying idea of vampires that i've ever heard <laughs> this is so much worse this is so <laughs> much nature worse. is terrible and then if you if you really want it to if you want to have a a line of the people are turned into vampires is if just the young of the vampires are feed off of 
a, a host is captured specifically to have a brood put on, and instead of nursing from the mother, they nurse off of a per. And so, a person literally gives gives life to the next generation of vampires. Like, Ugh. yeah, all sorts of creepy stuff. I, if we were going really weird, I, I had an idea of parasitoid vampires that the yes. bite is actually injecting a, a baby vampire that that Ugh. could give you vampire like traits. Drink blood now because I need to grow inside you. <laughs> and then eventually you burst out of uh, uh, with a baby vampire. So we've created. <laughs> so these are this is a line derived from shrews. Yep. That started out in caves, mm-hmm. losing their protection against UV and such. Uh, this lineage has inherited that, even as they've returned out into the world to be nocturnal yeah. sanguivores who are venomous, have lairs, and go after humans in the night. Yep. I love it. And that's this also means that, like, if they were wanting to bring you back, it wouldn't be just one of them. It would have to I be was like, just thinking that. It'd have yes. to be like a half a dozen or eight <laughs> all dragging you away like an ant colony. I imagine that if this lineage continues, if you want them to be bigger, mm-hmm. you know, if you want humanoid, I think you'd have to allow for them to also be predators. Yeah, they'd have to eat. You know. uh, and that and that's also not completely out of the question because yeah. I'm thinking of uh, Renfield. Yep. From Dracula, this classic Dracula who was eating rats and things. Mm -hmm. And you could easily imagine uh, vampirism becoming a you you, maybe you require blood Mm -hmm. as a portion of your intake to get get iron to strengthen your fangs. Something like, yeah, (laughs) even though if you're eating, if you're preying on things and killing them, you have blood anyway. But yeah. Yep. Or what that once again, maybe that's something uh sort of like the only time mosquitoes drink blood is when they're getting ready to mate. Maybe it's something they need for reproduction. So only oh. during certain seasons do they become blood drinkers. So Ooh, it's a I it's like a that. it's the season of the vampire and the village knows that this is when the vampires prey on people. The vampires are breeding. Yes. I like that a lot. That's it, yeah. That's that's awesome. So they drink blood to lead up to the, the, the spark season. their reproduction cycle. I like I'm, it. I'm quite proud of what we've created today. <laughs> we've created a monster and I love it. Yeah, we have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a pretty good time to wrap up for our first discussion of how to make monsters real, your instructional guide. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Listen so, to our children of the night. <laughs> oh, man, they'd sound horrible what music they would make oh just just chattering and <laughs> and oh they'd just be so high-pitched and lots of teeth noises you know just Ugh. clacking Ugh. metallic clacking yeah <laughs> yeah no they'd be awful well i hope you all enjoyed our first spooculative evolution episode it will be coming out saturday and the next one will be following it on the following saturday yes all through the month all through this month we will be releasing, so four episodes total. If you have comments, if you liked it, if you have ideas, we'd love to hear any of your ideas on how vampires might function. Absolutely. If you have more ideas on how our shrew pyres <laughs> might actually, how, what their ecology might represent, please share it with us. You can contact us in all the usual spots, 
and yeah. sleep well. Lock Dream your of vampiric shrews. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everyone. Good night. <laughs>Thanks for listening to the Common Descent Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and check our WordPress blog for pictures and links after each episode. Huge thanks to our patrons whose support helps keep this podcast running and who get access to bonus goodies on Patreon. The song you're hearing is called On the Origin of Species by Protodome, which we found at ocremix.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us next time.